Let's take our Bibles and let's head for a Bible study this evening. We are headed over to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4 as we continue, continue in what we're talking is a counseling series. And we've been talking about anger, contentment. We've been talking about a variety of things. Tonight I want to talk about something that is very pertinent to each and every one of us. Getting a better grip on our speech. Some of you have, the down, have it almost down pat, but the majority of us don't. The majority still struggle with trying to contain our tongue. And the reason that we should take time to talk about it is one of the reasons I put down it was the reason I want to study it is because most of all us we talk a lot so often more than what we should and some of us do a whole lot more than others uh, question for you who does the most talking men or ladies mm-hmm. nobody nobody nobody's saying men Nobody's uh, at all. Nobody touches that one. Okay, so in the studies and in most of your counseling books and things, you can find it all over. You'll hear this comment that's made in self-help books, counseling books, that they'll say from studies done in the 90s that the number of average number of words that are done per day by the different genders goes this way. It says that the men on average speak 7,000 words a day and the ladies 15,000. Okay, that is from the 90s. But they don't quote their source of their studies. And so here's a quoting, a source of a study that is done in most more recent times, 2007, 2014, and says, okay, who talks more? What do you think they found? No, come on. (laughs) Nah. Do you think it was close? As far as like the same as 7,015? That much of a disparity? Here's what they found it was on average. 15,000 for the men, 16,000 for the ladies. Pretty much close together. But we've heard it all the time that ladies... Well, I'm not going to finish the sentence. Okay. But we, we hear that stated that way. The fact of the matter is we all talk a lot. If you take on average the average size of the book, the average number of words that are in a book here in America being produced in, uh, in this uh, time period, if you and I had all of our words that we recorded, that means in an average size book, within a year you would fill 100 books. Okay, is somebody recording your words, by the way? Yeah, scriptures even mentions it. Which brings me to another reason why I think it's important for us to take a few minutes and talk about how we speak. Now, what I'm talking about tonight is what we say, the words we use, but not only the words we use, but also how we use those words. So when we talk about it, and we're not just talking about this kind of speech, is there a lot of speak that's being done this way? A whole lot. And so there needs to be care done in both areas and get a better grip on it. And so what we want to talk about is this idea that our speech is important to God. Three different reasons why I make this statement that it's important to God. If you go in scriptures and you do a study at least 120 times, you'll find the idea of the tongue or speech brought up, speaking about your tongue, your speech, that God has a statement about that, a warning, a, um, <clears throat> some type of put off or put on. And so he talks about about it an awful long, a lot in scriptures. He also has made it clear that our speech reveals our heart. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we've already alluded to it that he talks about the idle words are being recorded and come day of judgment, there's going to be an, an accountability for the words that were spoken. And so speech is important to God. It should be important to us for a number of reasons as well. We would look at scriptures and says this way we talk, it really 
reveals the real you and me. Scriptures makes it clear, if any man thinks he is religious, does not bridle his tongue, he's deceiving himself because he is religious, he's worthless. And so you're the, the reality, the substance of your faith often is going to be revealed by your mouth. He goes further, he says, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked, it just pours things out. Going to determine, are you righteous, are you wicked? Here's one, whosoever restrains his words has knowledge. He who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. That's a modern translation. We go a little bit further. Even a fool, when he holds his peace, his peace he is counted wise. And so it's going to reveal, are you wise, are you righteous? It's going to show up in the way you speak. An evil man, he's ensnared by, his, by the transgression of his lips. So our lips, our words, the way we talk, it reveals what our heart is really like. Close to the Lord? Not so close to the Lord. As well, it can be a powerful tool for good or bad. We read in Scripture, the tongue has the power of life and death. The one who guards his mouth, he preserves life. The one who opens wide, he comes to ruin. We know how the one who guards his mouth and tongue, he guards his soul from trouble. By the blessing of the upright, a sick city is exalted by the mouth of the wicked. It's torn down. So we even have social impact by what we say and how we respond. I think we've seen that demonstrated in politics recently in the last few years, is the attitudes are stirred up by the way people talk and the words they use. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and the lips from deceitful speech. So our speech has tremendous influence and powerful tool for good or bad. It can greatly affect others. The wholesome tongue is a tree of life. Heaviness in the heart of man, it makes it stoop. But a good word makes it glad. He goes further. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. He talks about blessing God and cursing people. These things ought not to be, but it's so powerful how it impacts others. The tongue of the foolish is like the thrusting of a sword, but the tongue of a wise person, it can bring about healing. And so we have all these thoughts that we put together that say, wait a minute, that brings it down to a main key thought. The thought is that you and I who are growing in our spiritual life, we ought to grow in how we control our speech. We should be getting better at controlling the words we say or how much we say or the tones that we use. We should be showing maturity and further maturity in this area. And yet there are some people, when I counsel, when I talk to people, they say, I can't help it. I was just, this is the way I am. You know, I was, I was in a home that we all talked a lot. We can't help control our speech. And we are easy and quick to find excuses to debate against Scripture. But the Word of God says, now, wait a minute. You've got to be improving in your speech. In Ephesians chapter 4, he is dealing with Christians, believers, who are born again, but who could be debating or excusing their own weaknesses in their life. And he says to them in this passage some powerful stuff. In Ephesians chapter 4, jump down about verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ, that is, he's talked in the previous verses, do not continue in the way that you used to live. You have not so learned Christ, if so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him... As the truth is in Jesus, put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. Conversation there is lifestyle, not just your speech, but even your attitude, attire, work habits, everything. Put off the former conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful us, and keep on being renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Several important thoughts stand out when you and I give excuses. I, I, you know, I'm given to anger. I'm given to talking a lot. I can't help it. Think through what this verse has just said. We who are believers, we are to be better than when we were 
in our unsafe state. We ought to talk better. We ought to treat people better. We ought to be more kind, more loving, more forgiving. So we're to be improving, and not just the way we always were. We're to be showing change in our life. We are to get rid of any stuff that is not God-honoring, whether it be in our language, whether it be in our work habits, whether it be in how we treat family members. We are to work at becoming more godly all the time. Keep on being renewed in your mind. Keep on putting off, putting on. We're supposed to be able to do this, but we can't without the help of God. That's why he makes it very clear, keep on letting somebody else work in you to be keeping on renewing you. And so that drives us to say, I got to pray about my speech. I got to pray about my temper. I got to pray about my work habits because it is something that is a weakness in my life. I want to keep improving. I want to do better. And so I need to keep on going to the Lord. So when we're going to the Lord in this one area of our speech, what specifically do we want to be praying for? What do we want to have as our target? You know, so what am I shooting for? What am I throwing the dart for in order to hit? Well, in this very text, he has several verses. More than any other topic, he talks about our speech. The second area of topic is about our purity when it comes to sex. But in this first topic about speech, there are several passages that he makes clear application or verses, clear application to the way we speak. And one of the things he stresses is when we speak, we got to be more correct than what we've ever been. I'm going to use all C's tonight to just help us to keep going through this. That is, after having put off lying, every man speak the truth. So he's talking about make sure that we are, well, we know it means being honest. We know that it means no lying. That we're to be growing in this area, putting off that temptation to lie, to deceive. You know, we got to stop and think now, wait a minute, according to Scripture, one, Christ is the one who is truth. Honesty, uprightness, within his speech was no guile. But the father of lies was Satan. So who do you want to follow? Who do you want to be associated with? All of us in this room would say, I want to be more like Christ than like the devil. Well, then it means, dictates, you have to work on honesty. When it comes to, you know, making a report, giving out what's gone on in your life. No exaggerations that are, that are truly to boast you or to benefit you and that idea. Give accurate facts. You know, that are the best to your knowledge. And I don't think this is the case. If somebody were to say to me, they were to say, hey, what time is it? And I look at my clock and my clock had stopped already. And I say, well, it's 631. And we know right now it's not 631. Otherwise, I have more time to preach. So you know it's beyond that time. But because my watch stopped, am I being deceitful, dishonest? Because that's what I thought it was. Okay, that's not the same thing as being dishonest, deceitful. That's just got a bad watch. Yeah. And so we want to be talking about those areas of making sure we're, uh, we're accurate when we know we can be accurate, when we are trying to give out something. So give accuracy when you're giving a testimony, when you're sharing a story, when you're relaying some things. To the best of your knowledge, be accurate. To avoid leading false impressions about yourself. Don't give false impressions. Avoid leading somebody to a false impression about another person. You know, that, that, you know, that would damage that person. Courageously correct any mistaken impressions. You do remember why this is important in the church. Do you remember the very first assault in the church where they had a deal in a disciplinary action with somebody who was being deceitful? They were leaving a wrong impression. Do you remember who it is? The book of Acts? Yeah, it's Ananias and Sapphira. And he says to him, he says, Why hath Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? 
And remember what the account was. They were presenting themselves as being more generous, more sacrificial than what they really were. It isn't that they kept back part of the money. It was they were acting like they gave so much more than they did. And that was the sin. That was like giving a false impression, leaving a false impression. Be careful. Be very careful that you're correct, that we are being accurate, that we are being honest in those regards. Number two, as you go through the text, when it comes to your speech, grow in this area. Grow in being controlled. Be ye angry and sin not, neither give place to the devil. Now, we talked about this text already at the beginning of this series about getting your anger under control. We pointed out anger is not always wrong. He even says there is a moment to be angry. We talked about when those moments are. We talked about there's a time when it's appropriate. But whether appro- when it's appropriate, it still has to be under control. And so he's making it clear, be angry, but you don't let it go so rampant that you're giving place to the devil. So you have to control your anger. And the passage, by saying you have to control, is saying you can control your anger, which means you can control your speech when you're angry. That's for our application tonight. So you have to remember that uncontrolled anger, uncontrolled speech. Okay, is that which will give place to Satan to get a foothold, to get a bridgehead, to get a beachhead there in your life in some way, shape, or form, which often will lead to more sins. So you and I want to be careful, which brings us to this question. Okay, let's identify. What times do we find ourselves getting really angry, really irritated, really upset about things, such as somebody in front of you isn't as good as a driver as you are? Does that get you really frustrated and upset? Then the question is, how do you talk? You know, how does that how does that come out? Your car breaks down. I'm not going to get into any more stories about how my car breaks down and the Holy Spirit wife helps me to keep it under control. Okay? Did the unexpected bill shows up? How do we handle that? When it all of a sudden you come home, you're tired, and you're, you're really hungry, you're really tired, it's been a long day, and supper isn't quite the way you wanted it, the house isn't the way you thought it should be, and so what do you do then? The kids are pushing you to the edge, and you say this is perpetual. For some families it is. Okay. What about when your spouse and kids don't do what you expected them to do? You're irritated by that. You're irritated by some when you go to work and all of a sudden you're given somebody else's job and you have to stay late while they go do their thing because they kind of snookered the boss into thinking that they were working hard and they needed to unload the work on you. You're running late, so you're frustrated with yourself or whoever. You weren't able to get something or do something that you really look forward to. All of a sudden, you wanted to go away, you wanted to do a, a trip, and boom, all of a sudden, it doesn't happen. How do you respond at those moments? And there are irritations in the life. We, we understand that. But the question that we have is this, how do you speak? What, what comes out of your mouth is showing what's in your heart. How do you speak at those moments? When all of a sudden, something isn't right, somebody upset you, they offended you, are you given to yelling, cursing, cussing? Are you one who's given to resort to name-calling, to belittling that person, to attacking them, to demonize them, to their face or behind their back? Are you an individual that, you know, you, when somebody finds fault, man, you go on, you go after the juggler vein. You attack, you criticize, you find fault. You speak about them against them to other people. Are you one of those who says, well, I'm just not going to say anything. I'm just going to be very spiritual. I'm going to give them the silent treatment for five weeks. Okay. How do you respond in your speech when you're frustrated? And so we look at it and say, wait a minute. What does the Word of God say about getting better control of my speech when I'm ticked, when I'm stressed, 
What does the Word of God talk about? It does. It talks about that idea, be angry, but sin not. Remember these truths, okay? Remember what specific applications to your speech. That when you're getting an irritation growing, remember what the Word says. Whosoever is slow to anger has great understanding. He who is hasty, that flies off the handle, that just lets it rip, he says, they exalt foolishness. Remember this principle. A hot-tempered man stirs up more conflict with other people. But he that is slow to anger quiets the conflicts. He is much better in social standing and saying, okay, I need to keep control. I need to not let this thing escalate. Whosoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. And that's a fact of life. You know that. You've been there where you rashly said something and it created more conflicts with the neighbors. You rashly said something or in some way communicated to another driver and that's got them now. You've got this contest going on going down the road. What trouble? It can escalate. So you know that. Now, join with me on this one, okay? How should you react when you're getting upset, according to this verse? Know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. What does that verse tell you you, how you should react? Anything? What do you mean by that? Okay, Bob said, we have more caution, take time to uh, consider what you're going to say and probably not say it. Anything else comes to mind out of this verse? Don't say the first thing that comes to mind. That's a good practice. Okay, any other suggestions, applications? Yes, sir. Did I hear you say digest the situation? Okay, so that you think through the situation. Okay, excellent, excellent applications. Basically, the bottom line is don't respond quickly. Hold your tongue. If it means count, how did we say it when we were talking about anger? Thomas Jefferson said, if you're angry, count to 10. But if you're really angry, count to 100. Okay, there was some wisdom in that, that that aspect. Think before you speak. Okay, what would you do with this verse? It says, now, in the, in the midst of, a con, of being upset, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh, but a harsh word stir up anger. What does that tell you to do? When you're getting frustrated, what do you want to do? Okay, you want to think about what you're going to say? Okay, so try not to use words that, what did you say? How did, Anger, the, the tone then, you're saying. The tone, don't say things in anger, okay? Any, somebody? I'm sorry, Jay. What did you say, Jay? The, the volume of your voice, okay? What do you mean by that, buddy? Okay, okay. And I think we all, we all agree with this. When we get into kind of a... Um, a situation, it can easily turn to a shouting match, yes? And then if they say something loud and harsh, you want to do what? You, go, you want to outdo it. And you're saying, according to this passage, we should purposely do just the opposite, is tone it down, which I, I think it is, it, that's a beautiful application of this text. Go ahead, Ken. Okay, okay. 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 Oh, it's so hard. All of this is hard in the middle of the moment, yes? 
Well, maybe it's hard for me. Some of you have it under control. But it's hard in the middle when, it's, when you feel, how stupid can they be? Okay. And you're, you're just frustrated. Refuse to answer. And this goes back to what you said, Lloyd. Okay. Refuse to answer with harsh words. Just make this your, your mantra. I refuse to use those harsh tones. And I'm not going to do that. Use that choir. This goes with what Jay said. Use the quieter, softer, slower voice. So if there's tensions rising and you go into a slower, more monotonous speech and they continue to be angry and loud and blaring, your slower tone, according to this, will with most reasonable persons will have what kind of impact? It'll calm them down. It'll calm them down. So speak wisely. Better control of your speech, okay, is not just when you're angry. Okay, let's make some other applications. You don't, you know, you and I then don't want, we want to work on not having to always talk. Not always having to, every opportunity that arises, I got to have my, my two cents in. Oh, a text came, and it's a group text. I got to join the group text, and I've got to get my two cents. Okay, think this through. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. That's a potent statement for this modern-day world. Everybody feels they have the right to say what they're thinking. You know, we would be much wiser as believers saying, okay, I want to be, I want to, I want to tone it down in giving my opinions. Okay, work at thinking before you speak. When words are many, transgressions not lacking. But whosoever restrains his lips, they're much wiser. Work at listening better. <clears throat> work at listening. So you're in a conversation, somebody's talking. What is your tendency if you're in this conversation that's going back and forth? What are you thinking about? What to say next, right? Okay, there's three of us who think this way. Okay. That we're tempted that way. And this past says, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame. My, my struggle is not speaking or not hearing closely and speaking and thinking, okay, what I'm going to say, what I'm going to say. I, you ever find that happening when you're introducing yourselves? And you say, I, I'm really hard at getting to know names, people's names, if somebody shook a hand, because we're more, more interested in making sure they get our name right then we're focusing on getting their name right. It just happens to us all the time. So you and I need to work on that, saying, I want to improve on this area to listen better. So we have the idea of being under better control in our speech. We have the idea that what we want to do is in our speech is, um, what was the first thought I gave you? Correct, 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 thank you. Okay, number three is be clean or cleaner in our speech. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth is that continuing passage. Literally, it would read this. Stop saying things that are unwholesome, things that are putrid, things that are profane. Okay, what might that be? What might be profane or putrid or unwholesome? Well, it could be bad words. It could be negative speech about somebody. It could be even in this regard. 
Didn't Peter try to fit in with the crowd to the point that he's trying to give a totally different impression and gives corrupt speech? I know not that man. And he swears and he cusses, I don't know him. It was a corrupt form of speech. And so when we go a little bit further in the text, he makes this comment. He says in verse 31, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And we read those words and we say, oh, that's interesting. Those words are just talking about what? I mean, most of us don't use clamor and malice in our everyday. What's he talking about there? So we define the words. We say, okay, let's look exactly what Paul was led by the Spirit of God to say to the believers, don't let this be a part of your speech. What did he mean by bitterness? The word literally means any form of hatred, any resentment towards somebody. When he talks about wrath, he's talking about a sudden outburst, an act of rage, uncontrolled anger. When he talks about the word anger, that's the seething, that's the undermining, the one that you hang on to. When he talks about clamor, it's yelling and screaming in an argument. That's what the word literally meant. Which means that when we were kids with our, with our siblings at times, that was not supposed to be there. And it should definitely not be in our lives now as we're older individuals. Evil speaking literally means it comes from the word, that same idea as blasphemy. Speaking down or against somebody, not just God, but verbally abusing somebody, name-calling somebody. Okay, and it's just not, it's not just the idea of, okay, when you're angry, but how do you do this, how do you do with this when it comes to talking about your boss? How do you handle this when it comes to talking about some of the leadership that we have? Do we blaspheme those individuals in a rather um, blunt, aggressive fashion? It, what about malice? Malice is that idea of you just have ill words. You, just, you, you want to tear that person down. You just want to make sure that the, whoever you're talking to, they understand that that person's bad if from, in your point of view. He says, this isn't supposed to be in us. This is, this is unclean speech, corrupt speech. He goes on and then in chapter 5. Let it not once be named among you as become saints, neither filthiness nor filth, foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not necessary or convenient or appropriate. Okay, does it mean that we're never supposed to tell a joke? Is that what jesting means? You're not sure. Okay? You can tell a joke? If it's an all right joke, okay? So, can I tease you, Lloyd? Because it's, it's a riot. You know, I love it, okay? Is that jesting, teasing? Is that inappropriate, according to this text? Okay. Let me, let me I put you on the spot, and I appreciate your, your boldness in, in answering. The three words that are used here are never found in anywhere else in the New Testament. They're only in this text. They're found in other, other extra-biblical writings, but they give us an idea of some speech that's not to be named amongst us. Speech that is totally wrong. Speech that we're supposed to be working on. The idea of neither filthiness has disgraceful... It's using obscenities. The cussing, the cursing, the, the bad words. And don't tell me I could have used a worse word. Don't make that your excuse. Obscenities are wrong. 
you know, use the name of the Lord in vain, etc. Et Inappropriate talk, okay? What would that be about? Talking and conversations that are inappropriate. We all know what that means. There's some conversations that aren't supposed to be in you know, groups that you, you have ladies in front. Man, there's certain things we shouldn't be talking about. It's inappropriate and vice versa. The jesting here is crude jokes. Crude, coarse jokes. It's, it's what you said. It's the dirty stories. It's the dirty jokes. It's the inappropriate. The, the, you know, they're not the jokes you'd probably tell your mom type things. And he says that, you know, the off-colored. That's not even supposed to be a part of our vocabulary. But he's telling Christians, this is interesting, he's telling Christians, keep on growing, put off this stuff, because even though you're growing in the Lord, some of you have hung on to cursing and cussing. Some of you have hung on to off-colored jokes. Some of you have hung on to some, you know, some obscene speech. Get it out of your life. This is, you did not learn this from Christ. This is not what is involved in the renewing of the mind. And unfortunately, in our world, people think, I'm more of a he-man if I use that type of language. I'm more adultish if I use that language. Actually, it's just the opposite in Scripture. And so what he's telling us is be very, very careful. Be clean. Get rid of the gossiping. Get rid of the screaming and anger. Get rid of vulgarities, the name-calling, the off-color jokes. Stop the harsh tones. All of that is cleaning up your speech. Let's move on a little bit. Be constructive. Be constructive. We keep on going right through the text where he says, or we've already looked, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but, very emphatic in the original, but that which is good to the use of edifying. This is a verse of putting off and putting on. Very clear. And it's all about speech. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that may minister grace unto the hearers. So instead of the corrupt speech, the type that tears down, the type that's, uh, that's vulgar, the type that's inappropriate, I'm supposed to be working at, you as well, using speech that will edify and be gracious towards others. Minister grace. We're to choose words that build up. Words that bond, that bind, that's constructive. Do you remember how Paul said it in Colossians chapter 4? What did he say about your speech? It is to be gracious and seasoned. Yeah, excellent. It's to be... Oh, oh it came up. Sorry. <laughs> You're so, I was so impressed. I forgot I put a timer on there. <laughs> I'm still impressed. Okay, let your speed always be gracious, seasoned with salt. What does he mean there? Gracious has the idea of kind, polite, uplifting. It has the idea of being respectful, not rude, not a bore, but rather that which is people would look and say, that is a real lady. That is a real gentleman. Your speech is appropriate. It's not embarrassing. Your speech is that which is uplifting. And it's, it's healthy, wholesome conversation. Who is, the, who is noted as having such gracious speech? Anybody remember in Scripture? There's one person identified that people were amazed at his gracious speech. It was Jesus Christ. It was Jesus Christ. That he, that he was great. Remember, even when he was in a frustrating moment, was he gracious, kind, respectful to his mother? Yeah, he still called her. 
<laughs> Remember the passage? Woman, what am I to do? And we, we laugh about it, but actually he is saying, dear lady. Okay, and it just comes in our translation kind of rough. And to his parents, the same thing. All Graciousness proceeded out of his mouth. So if I think this through and says seasoned with salt, what does that mean? Well, if I were living back in Bible days, salt had some very important aspects to it. How did we use salt in everyday life back in Bible days? It would preserve things. What else? Okay, it was helping to keep things pure. What else? Okay, it was done in healing. So I say, okay, how does this apply to my speech? Okay, so my speech should be like medication to other people. My speech should be that which is comforting. Seeking healing, not seeking a quarrel, but seeking a a healing situation. If I'm seasoned with salt. If I'm seasoned with salt, I want to maintain purity. I want to make sure that I'm preserving you know, that which is healthy and good in this re- relationship. So I'm going to speak words that are respectful, kind, God-honoring, clean words. So if I'm seasoned with salt, I remember that salt is also used to draw, make something more palatable. When it comes to the gospel, my speech should be as such that what I'm doing is making the gospel more palatable or pleasing or appealing to people on the outside. Can, can we as Christians... Turn somebody away from the gospel by the way we speak, in our tone to them. Yes? Can we turn somebody off to the gospel if we're using vulgarities? Yeah, because they expect better of us. So does God. And so we need to say, okay, what do I need to do? Constructive, I avoid these things. These are real practical applications. I avoid asking questions that make others feel like you're suspicious. That you're, you're, you know, don't trust them. You lack confidence in them. I want to, you know, for the scriptures, it has lots of passages about, especially the ladies, has passages about that dripping water on the rooftop, that nagging. Get rid of that. It's wrong. Undue pressure. Avoid fault finding over and over again as if they can never satisfy or please you. Where is this so critical? In what family, well, every family relationship and it's really very important with, with husband and wife, but where else? Where is this really important? Parents to kids. Parents to kids. Okay? Not always finding fault. And, the, and it's, so, it's so hard because we're trying to correct things that so often we're focused on correcting and we forget when they do the right. And so we need to really focus on saying, okay, I, gotta, I got to work on the compliments. I got to work on, hey, that, you, that was good. Even if I have to find it, and search to say, wow, the way you cleaned your bedroom, that was really good. And for them, it probably was. And so being constructive that way, tearing down belittling words, get rid of them. Get rid of the speaking badly about others, the negative, the ready-to-quarrel words, the one that doesn't edify and build up, but it tears down relationships. Get rid of it. Instead, work at these complimenting others. Works at being respectful and gracious, even when you're seeking information. Or an explanation. You know, without making them feel I'm under attack, okay, but I need to have some information. Encouraging words with affirmation, with confidence. Expressing appreciation for what was done, what they mean. Pointing out errors or needs for improvement, but with grace and kindness. We all need, by the way, we all need this. We, we need that iron that sharpens like iron. We need a good friend 
who might at times have to say cutting words to us, but they say it in a way that can be helpful and we know that they love us. And so work at that. Find areas to commend, even in little ways. Seek to help heal and comfort others who are discouraged, who need that encouraging word. And even though you feel like you're, you're struggling, you feel like, hey, this is a bad day, even on Jesus' baddest day, worst day, when he's hanging on the cross, he found positive words to say to people. Under those conditions, so can you. B, let's do another C. Be charitable. This is very similar to what we just said, but let me highlight the words. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ has done this to you. So charitable words, the word kind means to show mercy. Remember what we said? Grace is that is God giving us what we don't deserve. What was mercy? God keeping, keeping back what we do deserve, okay? So, in other words, shut your mouth at times. And don't say what you think they, they deserve to hear. Be gracious. Be merciful, I should say. Sorry. Tender-hearted is compassionate speech. Forgiving one, we know what it means. And so the way that that would look in our everyday life would be this, that we would speak positively, kindly towards others, mercifully. We're polite. We're respectful. We don't share the failures and faults of others you know, and spread it. It means that we don't refuse to speak to the person who hurt us. We try to be charitable, forgiving towards that individual. It doesn't mean we keep on bringing up their past failure, their past offense. It's under the blood. Leave it there. Seek to talk with those that, uh, that we forgave. Don't seek to rally others against them. Don't speak with angst in your voice or revenge or just, you know, what do I have to say to you? type of an attitude. But work at that charity, that positive, that kindness. Then let's do this one. Be complimentary. Be complimentary. This one, I'm I'm fudging with the words just to keep with the C's. But the complimentary is based on the verse 4 of chapter 5. But rather give thanks. Notice the passage, the entirety of the statement. Going there in chapter 5, verse 4, he says this. um, in In that comment, he says, For this you know that no whoremonger... Uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I jumped to verse, uh, verse 4. Neither filthiness nor foolish talk nor jesting, which are not appropriate or convenient or necessary, but rather, he's making a distinct contrast. Get rid of this and put this on. Put on thanksgiving. Giving of thanks. It, it's the word Eucharisto. Does that sound familiar? It's communion. It's that same word, giving of thanks. And so he's put, make this to be your, your, your ultimate. In fact, he goes in chapter 5, a few verses later, he makes this comment. He says, hey, you should be speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God the Father and through our Lord Jesus Christ. Dissecting this is really a fun task. Look at it a little bit deeper. What you end up with is this thought. Thanksgiving, a thankful spirit, is supposed to be that which characterizes us. In our speech, it's, it's stressed so much. A thankful spirit, looking for the positive, looking for being thankful, not, which means then we have to get rid of what? what ha- if we're being thankful people, what, what stuff has to go in our speech? The complaining? That's it. The negative, the you owe me attitude. Okay? So in this thought, we should be thankful. Replace complaining with finding items for which to give thanks. 
Let's take it a step further. Singing, according to this text, is a great way to show our thanks and praise. So in our speech, what might we want to do more of when we're alone? Sing. Sing. Okay. I am not sending this to our grandkids. We have three granddaughters in this one family that they, I'm telling you, they do nothing but sing. They can be reading a book. What did you just read? And they tell the story and say, how can you read and sing at the same time? How can you do this? So we were down there and visiting them. And what film did we, we wanted them to get healthy songs, good songs. Have you kids ever seen the song, Sound of Music? Oh, there we go. There we go. Sound of Music. No, the, the, do. Dear. Okay. Yeah, okay. okay. Did, it, did it great to you enough? <laughs> so that meant we showed them that one time and they were spellbound. Absolutely. And they said, this is the greatest day ever. <laughs> Guess what we heard? Every time we got in the car, do, a deer, a female deer. And while we're swimming, do, a deer, a blub, 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 <laughs> under the water. When we're eating at the table, a female deer, a drop of it was so, and our daughter, after we got home, she sent us a text, said, thanks. <laughs> so she said, I had to change after three days, I had to change. I gave him another musical. I forget which one she, she said, Annie. She put Annie. <laughs> yeah. And so now she said, she thought it might dissipate. And now it's the song... You know it. Okay. <laughs> I would rather have the kids doing that than moping and complaining. Okay? And so they're that great way of showing our thanks, by the way, is singing. When it says singing to yourself, psalms and hymns, it's, it's not the idea of just, okay, I'm going to do this humming to myself while I'm reading. Literally, it means singing to one another. Sharing my thanksgiving. Letting others be built up by that idea of, hey, God's been good to me. God's been great to us. Does music ever encourage your spirit? Did, did this morning's song, when the choir sang, did you feel like, Ugh! Yes, no? Okay, just like, wow, our God is amazing. Okay, now I want to start singing. And I won't, I'll ruin it for what the choir did. So he says in this passage, always giving thanks. Always means make it a practice to God and to others regularly. Make it a practice, a habit, until it becomes more of that characteristic in your heart. It's not the idea of, okay, I'm just going to do it silently. Don't, don't, don't buy that. It means genuinely from your heart. Okay, from your heart in that sense. Can you sing and give praise quietly? Yes, we all know that. But, it ha- but genuinely, genuinely from your heart. For all things, for taxes? That really wasn't hearty folk at all. Okay. Can, we, can we find something to thank God for through COVID? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The gospel went into places it never went before. It, it reached people that are missionaries. They had people tune in online that wouldn't have come to their services, but they would tune in online and keep their anonymity and got saved. And then after a few weeks, they would show their picture online. It was amazing how God used that. 
And you and I, we were frustrated with it, but God was using it. So we can find, you know, in, in different things, different trials, things to give thanks. There's a story that goes about a husband and wife, a young preacher. Busy, busy weekend, Christmas weekend. And so she comes in at the end of the weekend, plops down in her chair and she says, Ah, I am so tired after this busy weekend. He said, Busy? I'm the one that had to preach Christmas Eve, a morning service, and then also do the kids program, and then in the evening preach again. How is it that you're complaining that you're so tired? How, what did you do to be so tired? And she said, I had to listen to all those messages. Um, yeah, there, there's moments that maybe we want to be a little bit careful how we say it, but let me wrap up with this. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. It comes back to this in our speech and everything. We are to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. If the Spirit of God is pricking your heart and saying, hey, this is an area you need to work on, don't grieve him. If he's pricking your heart about stop complaining about your boss at the supper table, then don't, don't grieve the Spirit. Be committed to grow. If he's saying, hey, if, if in your heart right now, I want to work on Thanksgiving, don't grieve the Spirit. Work on it. Really work on it. He's pricking your heart about no yelling. No yelling at the kids, at others. Stop the, the outburst. Don't grieve the Spirit. Respond to it to say, I'm going to work on it and make this your prayer and commitment. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Help me to be committed and not to grieve the Spirit of God. Father, I pray that you would help us in this single area of our speech to get a better grip. These folk are so precious, they're so sweet, and yet I'm sure, just like me, they struggle with this area, and we have room for improvement. So help us go away this week, working on it, trying to improve in this area of speaking in a way that would become more gracious, more Christ-like, more godly in every way, shape, or form. We pray it in Jesus' name.